Hello dear listeners. Unfortunately, we had a technical issue with this week's episode. Alas. Dan sounds like he is in an old submarine at the bottom of the ocean with only a little oxygen and a cheese sandwich. We apologize and hope you enjoy the episode anyway. Everybody and welcome to The Weird. My name is Miss Ann Funa. I'm the host of The Weird and I also run the cat shelter here in Fayetteville. We're currently accepting donations of cat food. We prefer that you don't donate dry cat food because it can cause urinary problems with some of our more gentle souls in the cat shelter. I'm also knitting shawls for the poor so they won't be cold this winter, and it's just something that I like to do to give back to the community. Hi, everyone. My name's Terry. I'm currently trapped in a cage and and food in this basement. I'm very hungry and thirsty. If you could please send help, that'd be great. Thank you. Uh, Welcome to the show. Don't listen to Terry. She's had a problem with alcoholism for years. It runs in her family. Her father was a raging alcoholic who drove his Chevrolet off the bridge here in Fayetteville and it burst into flame and he was instantly consumed in the resulting conflagration. Well, we just lost every listener to the show with that opening. Bravo, you monster. Only the ones who run cat shelters in Fayetteville. Yeah, that's most of our listeners. I wonder if anybody... Is there a Fayetteville? I just pulled that out of my head. There must be a Fayetteville. That's a real place. Is it? Fayetteville, Tennessee. Sounds, sounds solid. I'm going to look it up. Fayetteville. Fayetteville. Or Louisiana. I'm going to say Louisiana. Fayetteville, North Carolina. Oh, North no. Carolina. North Carolina, Arkansas, Georgia. There's a Fayetteville in New York. There has to be one in Louisiana. Right? Fayetteville is a popular name. That's why it must have been embedded in my consciousness because I've heard the name before and I just. So, where. You know what? Wherever you go. Why did you just make all that noise? I'm, I was moving my keyboard. That's that's a really good time to do it. Lots of weird noises going on. Because you have active children. You've said it before. No, but there's a weird noise now. I don't know what. My house makes the strangest noises. The devil has come to call. I'm telling you right now, though, for real, I often... We, we talked about this in the last episode, but I sometimes wonder if I have, like, a spirit taunting me all the time. Like a, a shitty version of Peeves. What's Peeves? The Peeves from Harry Potter. Jeeves. Jeeves, not not peeves. You know, we fit, we just finished that, by the way. I remember, I, I've mentioned this on the show before that I've been reading that to my son for the last several years, and we finally finished the last book uh, just a few weeks ago. Do you feel a sense of accomplishment? How long did it take? I think it took us four years. That's a, You know, you can just get recordings of them. No, but we weren't reading it straight. There were lots of books in between, and often what I would do is I'd read a book to him and then start reading something with my daughter and, uh, and go... So it took time. And when he was really young, we could have probably only read five, ten pages at a time. No, I didn't want to get on a book. I'm his dad. I'm going to read it to him. Dan, those kids are old enough to be reading on their own. Well, they are now, Okay. but we wanted to finish that series together. Why do you have to destroy what was a, a very nice bonding thing that I do with my kid? I was trying to put a wedge between me and my children. You said to me when I met you in my early 20s, you said, I wish I was 20 years younger so I could be your child. I remember you saying that. 
That is the creepiest thing that you've ever said to me. Ever, ever, ever. That is so creepy. Fuck. Can we tell the story now? Now that you've just like, ugh. I feel like I have to take a shower now with a fucking wire brush. He needs to have a shower, and with that, away we go. Okay, Dan, it's interesting that I brought up Fayetteville, and, and there seems to be a lot of Fayettevilles in the South, because tonight we're going Southern. So get ready for some barbecue and some good old hometown ghost stories. Is this the story of City Slickers? I've never seen that movie. Oh. You should see it after you've done this podcast on it. I don't want to see. St- I don't Billy watch Crystal stupid movies. in your in your story. I hate Billy Crystal. Is a is a old Jack Palance who can do a one arm push up in the story? <laughs> he just threw his heads up in the air. I just I give up, man. The stage is yours. You obviously have a story, so I'll hold my story till next week. You tell your story now. Go ahead. Talk about your movies and your... There was a truck driver in San Francisco who saved a girl from the airport, and they get caught in an underground subterranean passage, and they meet uh, some Chinese gods who are angry, and then the truck driver kills the master god with a knife to the head. At the end. Okay. Keep going. No, I'm done. Are you sure? Yeah, no, I'm done. Are you sure? There must be other movies. Come on. No, what are you doing? No one wants to listen to this. Go. We're seven minutes into it, and you're just going on and on. I hope you're going to edit that. No, I'm going to leave it in. All right, folks. Um, I've got a good story this week, and it's the first time. I like firsts. I brought you a lot of firsts on the uh, on the cast. And this time I'm bringing you the first time I've come across a haunted plantation and of course when you think of it right of course what better place to be haunted than a plantation with all of the history and all of the uh, unsettling history that a lot of those sites actually represent i remember i was trying to think when i was writing this podcast the first time ever that i actually became aware of the existence of plantations and how they were run was probably when i was very young and the first iteration of roots was on tv What was that? That's my kids. Hold on. The first time I became, like I was saying, became aware of a plantation was watching Roots when I was a kid because I really had no awareness of Southern history Mm -hmm. and all of that until Roots, which was a very big event when I was young because back in the day, we talk about this a lot, there were only a couple of channels and everyone I know watched Roots and we actually talked about it at school when I was probably, what, 11 or 12. What What year did that come out? It has to be like 74, 75. Oh, was that? It was that long ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, because I mean, I knew of it as a kid, but I, I always thought it was maybe like the late 70s, early 80s that it came out. No. Okay, so was that, it was before I was even born. Yeah, because I was still living in the U.S. And uh, yeah. Okay, okay. That was where we first got our first glimpse of LeVar Burton, who would go on to be Geordie LaForge. That's right. And uh, the host of Reading Rainbow. Yes, Yes. You know, and I was going to say, too, there was something special about those miniseries, right? Oh, my God, yes. Remember Shogun? I don't remember. I know Shogun, but I've North, also North and South. Uh, North and South, I remember. The uh, Thorn Birds was one. V. Yeah, V was later. Yeah. Anyway, I don't want to. I don't want to sidecar this too much for the listeners. I'm going to take you folks this week to St. Francisville, 
This is in Louisiana. Can't get more southern than Louisiana. It's about 20 miles from Baton Rouge. Now, this is very much the antithesis of what you picture when you think of an antebellum southern town. It is that. It is the big porches. It is the Spanish moss. It is a beautiful historic town. It's surrounded by sprawling plantations. It's got a beautiful main street. It's got that smoky atmosphere. The magnolia trees, all of it. Everything that you could want in a southern town is in St. Francisville. Right out of Gone with the Wind. Yeah, very much that vibe. Now, the particular plantation I'm taking you to is called the Myrtles Plantation, and that's how it's known currently and it is regarded as one of the most haunted locations in the south and one of the most haunted locations in all of america Hmm. america all right i'm going to give you a little history and i know you love history and this is actually really interesting history the plantation was built in 1796 so it goes way back by a gentleman named General David Bradford. And he was best known and is best remembered in history as leader of the Whiskey Rebellion. And I don't know if you're aware of this. I wasn't. But the the cause of that whole rebellion was a tax that had been imposed by the federal government on whiskey. Yeah. They were not happy about that. So they marched on Pittsburgh. And when they did, General Bradford acted as their leader. And the rebellion was responsible for lots of property damage. Lots of stuff got burned down. Lots of stuff got trashed. At that point, it became such a big event that President George Washington, at the time, became personally involved. And he marched in with 13,000 soldiers, brought them to Pittsburgh to quell the rebellion and to deal with the problem. So, because of his involvement in that uprising, this General David Bradford had to leave his home in Pennsylvania. And that was how he found his way to a little town called St. Francisville, Louisiana, where at that time he purchased 650 acres of southern beautiful land for $1.25 an acre. And it was on that site, on those 650 acres, that he would build what would become known as Myrtle's Plantation. The Southerners, though, in the area call it the Myrtle's, which I love. They allowed him to just leave? See, I find that amazing. I'm going to talk to you about that. He was actually under house arrest. Oh, okay. So at that time, the site was called Laurel Grove. He called it that. And the house that he had constructed was very modest. It was four rooms on the main floor and what they called four up. So four down, four up, four bedrooms upstairs. Actually, it was super modest. I was really surprised when I saw the um, a picture of it and what it originally looked like. He lived there by himself until 1799. Now, I want to throw in a little bit more history here because I think this is a good time to do it. The property in question was originally occupied by the Tanika tribe, and that is the indigenous people that occupied that area. And they were eventually forced off their traditional lands, of course, because that's how it goes, Mm -hmm. into an area known as Marksville. And Marksville is located 68 miles away from St. Francisville. So they were uprooted and moved 68 miles away from their ancestral home. Colonialism, always a good time. Yeah. Legend has it that uh, when they were building the the first iteration of the plantation. I use the word iteration a lot. I'm going to say version. The first version of the plantation that they had actually unearthed a Tanika burial ground Mm. underneath the actual house. Oh. Yeah, right where the house was being built. And instead of respecting the site and recognizing it as a sacred spot, Bradford had the bones dug up, removed, and burned. Oh my God. Right? How could you be that disrespectful? Well, because they didn't view these people as people. 
They were subhuman. They were primitives. They were pagans. Yes. Yep. They don't matter. So as I mentioned earlier, Bradford was placed under house arrest for three years, but he was eventually pardoned by President John Adams in 1799. And it was then that he moved his wife, Elizabeth, and their five children, because they'd been separated that whole time, to the plantation. He only lived nine more years. Well, I'm going to say this, too. Whatever bad stuff, I hope some bad stuff happens to him, he has it coming to him. I don't feel sorry for this guy. He just died of natural causes oh. in 1808. And at that time, the management of the plantation then passed on to his daughter, Sarah, and her husband, a gentleman named Clark Woodruff, and he was a judge. Now, Sarah, the daughter, was 19 when she married the judge in 1817, and they had three children named Cornelia, James, and Mary. Here's one of the most important things I'm going to tell you in this tale. Judge Woodruff had a mistress, and she was a young slave girl named Chloe. I did a little research, and at that time, it was actually not unusual for men to take mistresses when their wives were pregnant, because they considered the wives to be out of action, so they would take a mistress to be able to satisfy their sexual needs. This is a, a, like a, a, a southern thing? Apparently, it's a universal thing. Well, yeah, actually, right. I mean, having mistresses isn't, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, and the wives would be okay with that, because they were busy making a child. Mm-hmm. It's douchey as hell, but, you know, history... Well, it, it also comes from a you know an era where people weren't necessarily getting married because they loved one another. They were getting married because it was a good business decision. So you reserved your love for your your lover. Your your what would they call a, a male mistress? Is that a mistress still? No, it can't be. A mistress, a man of the night. Your lover. She took a lover. They always say that in English books. She took a lover. <laughs> she took a lover. That's right. <laughs> Now, Chloe, the mistress, the slave girl, used to eavesdrop on the family constantly. I'm so sorry. She was a slave. Yeah. She was a slave. Yeah. Okay. And the other slaves at the plantation told her to stop, that she was going to get caught and she was going to get in trouble, but she didn't heed the warnings. And Sarah, the wife, began to notice that Chloe was a bit of a snoop and a busybody. One day, when he caught her red-handed, listening in on a private conversation. Judge Woodruff took her out and punished her by cutting off her left ear. Oh, my God. And the reason he did that, because that was the ear that she had placed against the door when he caught her listening. Sorry, this is his mistress he's doing this to. This is his mistress. But remember, I mean, it's not unusual for Southern people to be treating what they considered property however they want it, right? Yeah. So dear Chloe bided her time. And then finally... On his oldest daughter Cornelia's birthday, Chloe was asked to prepare a cake she worked in the kitchens. And to that particular concoction, she added the juice of the oleander leaf. The oleander leaf is a poison which wreaks havoc on the central nervous system. It causes problems with circulation and it can also cause seizures. Actually, the outcomes of oleander poisoning are very similar to those associated with arsenic poisoning. So you're looking at the same type of results. Now, Chloe's intention was to make them ill. But what happened was the judge's wife died as well as two of the three children. Oh, but not the judge. Not the judge. He was beyond angry. The others, yeah, yeah, really, that's an understatement. Fearing for their lives, the other servants decided to take matters into their own hands. They turned on Chloe, stormed the house, 
dragged her out, and hung her by the neck until she was dead, then weighted her body down and threw it into the swamp where it would be consumed by alligators. So she died a very traumatic death. So to avoid getting reciprocal punishment, they say, well, we'll, we'll just kill her for you and please don't hurt us. Exactly. They were, they were afraid that he would wreak havoc on the entire slave population. This man sounds just like a wonderful human being. Well, it was the way things worked back then, right? Well, they they're freaking monsters. Yeah, they were monsters. And they, yeah. In 1830, Elizabeth Bradford died and Sarah and Clark, Elizabeth was the mother of Sarah. Okay. And Sarah and Clark then left the plantation. And at that time, the management of the site was placed into the hands of a caretaker who was hired. So he had no familial ties. He just was somebody they hired. In 1834, the plantation was sold to a gentleman named Ruffin Gray Sterling. What a great name, Ruffin. There you go. You got a good one in your story there. Hello, everyone. My name is Ruffin Gray Sterling. And I'm very pleased to invite you to my home on the occasion of New Year's Eve, 1835. I prepared a delightful feast for you, and I will also perform a song on the piano with my lovely daughter, Abigail. Would you like me to get my spoons? I can play uh, some backup spoon music as you do this story. It would work. So, Ruffin Gray Sterling, I love that name. It just sounds like a pretentious made-up actor name. Made major modifications to the house. And many believe that this is one of the reasons that paranormal activity at the site first began. I didn't know this, but apparently if you mess with a site, the ghosts become uneasy. And that is when paranormal activity can ultimately be born. I'm surprised that the initial construction of that house, you know, when you took desecrated bodies and... Uh, are, you, are you okay? I blew my nose. Is that Okay. I, I, like, I still thought you were going to tell me that when he moved in, bad stuff started to happen. No, but he, he really expanded the house, shook things up. He doubled the size of the house, actually, and renamed the property as the Myrtles Plantation. So that's the name we know it by to this day. Now, Ruffin was a bit of a gentleman, and he liked his finery, so he imported a great deal of furniture from Europe. I've seen the interior of the place. Anybody can. Um, you just go online. And it's very antebellum and it's also very french provincial heavy dark ornate furniture it's very airless inside you know heavy draperies all that kind of stuff it's a very southern looking house mm -hmm. legend has it that his actual son was shot in what was once the game room because of an outstanding gambling debt but this can't be verified Okay. And it said that he crawled to a specific location in the house and then died. And visitors to the plantation often trip at that very spot, claiming that they've tripped over an invisible body. So that's one of the uh, manifestations at the plantation. Mm -hmm. So Ruffin Gray Sterling died in 1854, and the plantation passed to his wife, Mary. And she hired a gentleman named William Drew Winter to assist her with managing the plantation because it was quite a thriving enterprise at that time. Mary, his wife, Cobb, that was her last name, eventually handed the plantation over to her daughter. Do you notice it's always being handed to the daughters? Yeah. Because her daughter, Sarah, had married William Drew Winters in 1852. So her daughter uh, married the man she hired to assist with the plantation. They had six children. One of those children was a daughter named Kate. Now, this is not an uncommon story back in this era. The little girl contracted yellow fever, mm -hmm. and she had to be confined to her room. In desperations, 
the legend has it, her parents sent for a local voodoo priestess to assist their fading daughter. Medicine wasn't working, and they feared that they were going to lose the little girl forever. I mean, I know voodoo would have been, in that area would have been a thing, right? I, I, I'm assuming religious practices brought over from Africa. Well, voodoo, voodoo comes from Haiti. Right, but it, it also then it has its deep, deeper roots in African mythology. And, it's a and, big mix-up of stuff, and Christianity, right? There's a huge amount of Christianity in it. But its deeper roots are African. My point being... This is coming from the slaves. Yes. And there would have been a lot of that around. And you're also near the apex of voodoo in the United States, which is New Orleans and Baton Rouge. So I, and so, where I was going with that then is I'm surprised that these white people would have tapped into that. But I guess they're surrounded by it. Actually, I'm glad you mentioned this. It wasn't unusual. It wasn't. It wasn't unusual for people to ask for assistance. Spells and charms and little packages of herbs and things. It wasn't unusual when they would become desperate. Is there any crossover between Christianity and voodoo? Like, can you be a Christian and also believe in voodoo? I'm not sure. I mean, I know it's a, it's it's got its own set of, of gods and all that and goddesses. But it, yeah, I just wonder about that. We should do the history of voodoo sometime. Well, I would like you to because you, you already know more about it. I'd be too scared to do it because then you'd yell at me. I got obsessed with it for a while when I was a kid and I read a big, big book about it. It was very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. They always meet at the uh, crossroads and have their ceremonies at the crossroads. And they call them the Calfur, which is crossroads. Well, it's, okay, so you bring that up. And that makes me think of the, what's his name, the musician, the famous blues musician who meets the devil at the crossroads. I don't know. I almost did a story on this years ago, and I may actually do it if we do another odds and end one. But that's that's what I mean. This, these are uh, Christian people, but there's a lot of voodoo beliefs that end up permeating into their their belief system. Well, do you know what the best part of voodoo is? Is the sect rouge? They're the, like the, the the dark black fork of voodoo, and they are the ones that do the the really dark things. Okay. Yeah, because the original zombies apparently were only bodies that were raised to help work, to help out. They were just labor. They would just go and toil in the fields. So they were The idea was that these people had died. Yeah, and they were just raised to be able to help people work in the fields and for cheap labor. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, let's not go too far off track here, but I thought that was kind of interesting. They they looked for some voodoo help. Yes. For their ailing daughter who has yellow fever. So a voodoo priestess was was fetched. She didn't live nearby, and by the time she got to the uh, to the site, the child had died. Oh. She was three years old. Oh. They were furious, and they killed the priestess on the spot. What? Yeah. Oh, for crying out loud. Yeah, I know. Okay, I feel terrible at any point in history if a child dies. That's bad. But boy, oh boy, these people are wicked they're vicious they are vicious because they don't regard these people as humans it's disgusting exactly it'll be a common theme i think now the room in which the little girl died is known as the william winters room okay and i'm going to explain a little bit more one night in 1871 william winters heard a voice calling from the darkness outside of the plantation house when he walked out onto the porch to try and determine who was calling a single shot rang out and he fell Now, there are different versions of what happened next, and no one can agree on on what is the actual truth. The most popular, though, is this. He crawled into the house and began to crawl on his hands and knees up the staircase. His wife came out of her room, and she met him on the 17th step. They held each other in one last loving embrace, and he died. Now, another legend says that he died all by himself on the porch, 
and that the shot had killed him instantly because it passed through his heart. So those are the two versions. The killer... His attacker was never found, and Sarah, his wife, eventually succumbed to yellow fever herself. Uh, and any possible culprits? No. And at this time, no more slaves, but they probably still have a lot of black people working like slave labor, basically. Oh, yeah. for Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So the plantation was purchased by the Moss family in 1992. Oh, 1992. From that same family? Did that family own it all the way up to 92? It was kept by caretakers and in, um, what's the word? In trust. In trust, thank you. So it was purchased by a family called the Moss family in 1992. And when they moved in, they immediately began to have paranormal experiences. Now, there's a very well-known story. One of the children, Morgan, and you can actually hear him tell the story himself because he's very much alive today, was walking along the shore and almost fell into a very deep pond. But before he fell, he claims that a ghostly presence led him away from the danger and told him that he was safe. He said it was a very comforting presence and that he felt no danger, only love and compassion. Interesting. Now, today, the Moss family live in a separate home at the back of the property. And they have, of course, turned the facility into a bed and breakfast. And like I said, it's colloquially known as the Myrtles. So, Dan, the Myrtles is so riddled with ghosts that it is known as one of the most haunted sites in America. Every paranormal investigator has gone there. Psychics go there. Everybody goes there because it's so easy and you can stay overnight. You just mm -hmm. pay a fee, right? It's a bed and breakfast. Most of the people, experts that have visited the Myrtles claim that it is absolutely charged with paranormal energy. That it is unavoidable. That as soon as you arrive, you feel it. It's palpable. It's a physical feeling. You just, you can't get away from it. They claim, most of the experts, that the house itself is haunted by 12 primary ghosts. And all of these ghosts regard the plantation as their home. And they don't necessarily know each other. Nope, they do not. So I'm sure you're not going to be surprised to learn that the principal ghost at the property is Chloe. Okay. She's easily recognizable because she appears most often wearing a green scarf wrapped around her head. And the reason she's wearing this is it hides her missing ear. So apparently after the ear was violently removed, Chloe, until she was eventually hung and thrown in the river, would always wear a scarf to hide the horrible wound that her owner had left behind. Mm -hmm. The ghost of Chloe most often appears at the front of the house. And there are a lot of photographs where you can actually see the ghost of Chloe. Really? Oh, yeah, there are tons. Um, they're blurry, of course. They're not super defined, but there she is. She's peeking through the lace drapes of the through, from inside the plantation house. There's also one very famous one where she's sort of around the corner, and you can very definitely see that there's a headscarf or some kind of head wrap on her. Oh, okay. Am I allowed to look at this? Yeah, look at it later. There's Honestly, if you look up photographs of Chloe, there's a million of them. Uh, the image, though, is always of the same young black woman. She's very diminutive. She's very small. So she looks a bit like a child. Now, they say that she basically just roams the property and that she's very kindly and benevolent. Hmm. And her whole purpose for staying at the plantation and being trapped there spiritually is that she's atoning for the mistakes she made while she was alive. And that primary one being poisoning an, uh, an entire family. I was going to say, I wonder if she would be an 
angry, vengeful spirit because she was murdered. Well, no, because she murdered, right? Right. I'm sure if she had been anybody and had committed that murder, she would have hung for it. You know, mm. she was General Bradford mm-hmm. himself. If he had murdered yeah. his wife and two kids and it was, you know, there was no question he'd done it, he would have probably hung for the crime. Yeah. So guests say she's really quite sweet. A lot of guests have woken up in the middle of the night because the air has become quite cold and invisible hands are actually pulling the covers up, tucking them in. And this has happened to more than one guest. Now, this is one of my favorite stories because it makes so much sense. A lot of guests, female guests or male guests, I guess, have reported that one of their earrings have gone missing after they visited the Myrtles. And the reason is she only has one ear. So she only needs one earring. Chloe. Yeah. So she mischievously pilfers jewelry, but only one because that's all she needs. She's not doing a very good job atoning for her sins by a by you know perpetrating extra sins. Well, you know, but where is she going to get jewelry? She can't go to Claire's at the mall. She could wear cloud earrings in heaven. Oh, aren't you a romantic cloud earrings? Yeah, it's my new novel. I'm writing a series of romantic novels. It's the first one, Cloud Earrings. Yeah. Something dirty sounding about it, and I don't know why. Chloe's the number one. She's sort of the queen of the of the of the ghosts and uh <laughs> I can't it's like a venereal disease. I've got cloud earrings. Oh, man. Here's some cream. So she's there. A lot of psychics and mediums have gone and had conversations with her. They've contacted her. But like I said, she very comfortably occupies the plantation, but she's not a threat to anybody. Okay. None of the ghosts at the Myrtles really is, is a threat to anybody. They're just very much there. Now, this is a little bit more macabre. The deceased members of the Woodruff family are also said to haunt the plantation. No, they would be angrier. Well, yeah. There's nothing worse than children who are killed prematurely. Because, well, anybody who's killed is is killed prematurely. But children who are robbed of all of their potential, of all the lives they could have, Mm -hmm. are often really angry spirits. And the Woodruff family, these these are uneasy spirits. They're not happy, but they do occupy the home. And what do they do? They're just there. You can see them in the mirrors. You can hear the little girl's laughter and footsteps. But it's unnerving for people when they Very unnerving. Them. Now, Ruff and Sterling, it said, had actually had such a problem with these particular ghosts that he had glasswork installed, specifically with a French cross, in the center of each window to ward away these spirits. And the windows are there to this day. They started seeing these ghosts that far back. Yeah, he had a real problem with them. And so he had cross, he had windows with crosses installed. Unfortunately, though, we don't have a lot of testimony because it's in the Wayback Machine and not a lot was written down. But there was a problem with supernatural entities all along. Mm. Um, Now, the ghosts of the poison children, like I said, still haunt the site. And one of the um, primary things they do is they go and they pull visitors' hair. So you'll be walking up the stairs, you get a little tug on your hair, and and you know that that's, that's that's who it is. It's the ghosts of the poison children. What happened to Heidi? In last week's yes. episode. Now, this is a sad one. People all also report walking around the property and suddenly a small ghostly hand will take theirs. Yeah. And do they know? They don't know who it is. Well, it's, it's invisible. It's nothing malevolent, but it's one of the children, they believe, the murdered children, just seeking comfort in, in holding the hands of strangers. Didn't you mention something like that in the second asylum episode you did? Where there was, with the children's asylum. That was the worst. Yes, there's lots of that. Very sad. Seeking comfort. Like they're that. seeking comfort. You know, they they were just so oh so abandoned. Mm-hmm. And the voices of the children, those two children singing nursery rhymes, 
are also heard throughout the house. Oh, that's that's pleasant. Accompanied by the sounds of running feet. But again, is in no way malevolent. I will tell you this, and I'm not kidding. I don't know if I've mentioned this before to you. There's nothing freakier in the middle of the night hearing a child sing. I agree. And I don't know if it's because of Nightmare on Elm Street and that creepy, you know, one, two, Freddy's coming for you. Yes, yes. But there was a few years ago, my, uh, there's been two two separate occasions. One time my daughter was singing in the middle of the night in her sleep. And it was this tiny little voice. And normally that would be beautiful. But when you're woken up in the middle of the night by that, it sends like chills down your spine. Of course. The other time... Uh, we woke up, I'm uh, oh, sorry, I woke up and my son was just standing at the foot of the bed, staring at you me. You mentioned this in the podcast before, yeah. And I yelled, like I actually yelled. Children are creepy. Well, I, I remember doing that when I was a kid. I'd go into my parents' room, but I would stand there uncertainly not knowing if I should wake them or not, but I needed... I, like there was a thunderstorm or something. I didn't know what to do or I just woke up and I was upset. And you just kind of stand there because you're like, you're a kid. And you don't like, what should I do? You know, I don't uh-huh. know what to do. You know, uh-huh. when I was a kid, what would freak me out? Like the fuck would just make me go into like paroxysms of terror was snowplows going by outside. Why? I, I don't know. It was the blue flashing lights. It was the sound. I couldn't fucking handle it. I would run to my parents' room screaming. Oh my God. I know. I'm okay with it now, obviously. But back then, it was snowplows, and I don't know why. My dad laughs at me about that to this day. Well, your father laughs about you in general. We've had a few good laughs at your expense. Most people laugh at me, Dan. I've, it never really happened for me, man. You're a buffoon. I know. I, I just I just want to write a book or something, man. I don't. You're a buffoon with a heart of gold, though. I'll say this. Okay, let's go back to the Myrtles. You'll be happy to know that records also report the ghost of a young indigenous woman haunts the property. I was going to ask you that, and I'm glad, not glad, but I was wondering if there was going to be something. Yeah, so the Tanika tribe and everything that had happened to them, well, they're not forgotten. There was definitely a young, beautiful indigenous woman wearing um, sort of a scarf on her head, and they they see her. And she's not angry? No, she's just a, a spirit that people see. None of the spirits are really angry. Well, these are much nicer spirits than I would be if I was in their uh, shoes. Well, a lot of there's different opinions about what this isn't a manifestation. This isn't a demon, mm-hmm. right? These are different things. Ghosts and demons, or those kind of manifestations, are different, completely different things. Apparently, spirits hate demons and are terrified as, as terrified of them as we are. Right. Well, they're not of the same origin. No. At all. Spirits are, are of human origin. Demons would be, well, from hell. Uh, well, no, I just, I, the reason why I'm, I'm surprised is you hear sometimes, uh, and this might be pop culture influencing this, but, you know, you bear, you, it's poltergeist, right? You, you build a house on top of an old uh, burial ground, and then those spirits are furious with you with what you've done, and they wreak havoc on you. Yeah, because you, you've disturbed their rest. Or like the Hellfire Club, like we, we talked about a few weeks ago, right? But that could just be because they were Irish and we can be fiery people. During the Civil War, three people were actually killed at the house. They were soldiers. And there's reportedly a blood stain from one of those murders that is on the floorboards at the Myrtles and you can't get rid of it. That's an, a, a tale old as time. That's a very common one. But what do you mean they were killed? Like they were they were in a battle and were brought there and died there? There's no explanation other than three people were killed at the house. It might have been a drunken quarrel. Oh, okay. it could have. I don't know what happened, but three people were killed, and there's a blood stain that they can't get out, just like Lady Macbeth. 
Now, many witnesses, I like this one. I love phantoms that crawl. Do you remember when I talked about the lighthouse keeper crawling on his hands and knees with a lantern in his mouth? Yeah, so many witnesses at the Myrtles have also heard and seen the specter of William Winters as he crawls up the stairway to the 17th step. Okay, that, that would be brutal. Most of the time, it's just the sound. And the sound is described as heavy boots and the sounds also of hands on the ground. Mm-hmm. It's also sometimes accompanied by loud pounding at interior doors. But most often, the footsteps, the dragging, the crawling stops on the 17th step because that, legend has it, is where he died in the arms of his wife. That one's, I guess, not as scary as they could be. Right? He was going to die with his his racist wife. And he's just reliving the last moments of his life over and over again. Yeah, that'd be kind of shitty. Man, I hope I'm not a ghost. I know you you said you'd, you'd like to be. I would not. Especially if you're caught oh, in the Of course loop. I would want to be a ghost. I was kidding. Dan, there's a haunted object at the Myrtles. And it's a famous haunted mirror. Okay, you keep saying this and it makes me feel bad that I've never heard of any of these things. Everyone who goes to the Myrtles goes to see the famous mirror. And it's a large gilt mirror with a kind of a thin frame. It's an old mirror. Now, the mirror is linked spiritually to the crimes that were committed by Chloe. Because in the olden days, the mirrors were covered up when someone died so that their souls would not become trapped within the mirror's glass. Is that why they did that? Yeah. So this particular mirror, however, had not been covered when the Woodruffs had been poisoned by Chloe. And it is said that because of that, their spirits became trapped within the glass. The Woodruffs. Yeah. The most common thing that happens with the mirror is finger and hand prints appear that cannot be removed. And if they are removed, they instantly come back. Now, there are pictures of that. And a strange substance also drips down the face of the mirror, but no source for it can ever be found. There's no leaky pipes. There's nothing. When people stare at the mirror, and there's lots of photos, you're going to see a lot of photos of people just standing, taking selfies as they look in the mirror. Look at them now, but I'm not allowed to touch my keyboard. Oh, you are such a bitter person. Who hurt you? Oh, where do I begin? Okay, so people, when they stare at the mirror, claim that they can feel something staring back at them. Some people actually jump back. And they've actually seen figures in old-timey clothing looking back at them. No, I wouldn't do that. Well, the mirror is uh, a big tourist draw. People come from all over just to see the mirror. See, that makes me suspicious. I would like someone to, like, take a look at that mirror and see if there's it's been worked. Take a look at me now. There's just empty space. Isn't that Phil Collins? It's against all odds. Against all odds. I want you to say, take a look at me now. I'm just a face in the mirror. Whenever you sing like that, you sound like you're in a diving bell from the 1800s. Submerged in in a diving bell. That was the name of my band in the 1800s, the Diving Bell. And then you broke your maracas and the band disbanded. No, that was in the 1990s. Okay, let's not, um, no, no, we're not going back to Danville. I'm staying on topic. We're almost to the end. Okay, so other uh, <laughs> issues of note. Rocking chairs on the front veranda of the Myrtles move back and forth of their own volition. People see this all the time. An invisible specter also plays soft, gentle notes on the piano in the parlor. People have heard a woman sobbing near the central staircase, but they cannot figure out who that might be. 
and the ghost of one of the caretakers, we don't know which one, walks the grounds and often stops people from moving about freely and he's a little bit gruff and confrontational. So like, where do you think you're going? That kind of guy. It's Filch. And the staff at the plantation say that it's just a part of life at the plantation to experience unexplainable events. Glasses fly off tables and shelves. Footsteps prowl the halls. You'll hear laughter and there's no one there. It's that kind of place. But I'm going to close it out by saying the Myrtles is a really popular bed and breakfast. About two-thirds of the people that go there are going there to experience it because they want to experience it. Now, this is disappointing. But none of the captivating stories and legends associated with the plantation are verifiable. There's no evidence saying that they were ever poisoned, that there was a slave named Chloe. Oh, that way. Yeah, so, but there's no evidence pointing the other way. Uh, Apparently, the wife was never poisoned. She lived a long and happy life, but a lot of people say that's not true. So I'm not going to try to deal with that part of the story. I'm going to tell you the spooky story that people believe. And ghost hunters are very welcome at the bed and breakfast. So you can go there and set up and use your cameras, but they love it because it's publicity. And like I said, the Moss families, they still live there. They still run the place. And they said, man, we've seen some shit. So yeah, cha-ching, that is the story of the Myrtles. That's the issue with all of these ghost stories. It's especially when any of those ones that we've done sort of way back stories, uh, it's hard to sometimes have definitive proof. Exactly. For a lot of the ones that we've dealt with that have, uh, you know, are a hundred plus years old, uh, it's hard to have to find that. So sometimes you, uh, you, you take the word of the people that live there. And also these legends make life more interesting. And it adds to the list, the growing list, Dan, of places that I think you and I should visit one day because... I was going to say that. I would actually love to stay there's there. There's no hassle. It's a bed no, and breakfast. Just yeah. call up and boom, Bob's your nurse. As opposed to staying at that creepy asylum. Uh, Trans-Allegheny. Trans-Allegheny. Yeah, it's easy to stay at though too. They love it. Oh, so that's right. You can stay there, right? I don't. At Halloween, they have sleepovers. Really? Yeah, but I mean, you're going to be with 30 people. What's going to happen, right? Right. And there'll be that, yeah. That one one person who just, I felt something on my leg. That was me. I'd love it. I'd love if that happened. I like the idea, too, because we, we know that there's a term out there called Southern Gothic, and this is very much Southern Gothic. Mm-hmm. This is the Spanish moss. This is the long, hot nights, the big, sprawling porches, the, the ease and elegance of the old South. I find that stuff so creepy on its own just that the american gothic mythology around the south yeah and maybe part of it too there's a lot of bad energy there right like very violent past very very violent past yeah and that might play something into it i would love if you did do a uh, an episode on on a voodoo legend or i'd love or to do a thing on voodoo i'm just scared that i won't do it well and it's almost a re- doing a religion, and so you've got to be very careful about what you. But I'll, I'll see. I'll you know what I'll do a little bit of a poke and see if if the information I'm coming up with is good, and that I feel that I'll do it justice because I don't really want to. I don't really want to fuck around with people's belief systems if that's your thing, right? Unless they're Catholic. Yeah. <laughs> I don't fuck with the belief systems. I just have issues with some of that belief system. No, we're allowed to poke fun. We're both formerly Catholic. Yes. And it's a dominant religion of the world. So. It is very dominant. And it's responsible for a lot of things that I really have an issue with. So, yeah. 
anyway, uh, that's my story. And I loved it. Um, I just love going to the South. I'm obsessed with the South. So uh, it was great to go there and tell that story and look at all those pictures of the beautiful, you know, Spanish moss and the swamps and the people walking around in their finery. It was great. Can I tell you, I tried to watch for the first time ever Gone with the Wind. That's a long movie, man. Well, that's part of it. I think I made it about an hour in and I had to turn it off because how they glorified that world. Like it's all about the pageantry and how happy the the slaves are to have these white masters and they're treated so well. Yeah, but that changes. Oh, does it? You know, most definitely. They lose everything. Who does? Well, the white people? This, well, and the, you see Atlanta being burned. I mean, it's the famous scene in the book, right? The burning of Atlanta. It just seemed to be glorifying that, that way of life and downplaying how savage and cruel it was, you know, that these white people were... Exploiting people at the worst level. At the worst fucking level. That's why it was so revelatory when Roots came along. I know I mentioned it earlier in the podcast, but Roots sent shockwaves. Because a lot of people just didn't know. We knew that they were slaves, but we didn't know. As, as a child then, and I was what, 12, I think, I didn't know how they were treated. I thought that they were just, you know, they were laborers that, you know, were, were cared for, but they just didn't have any freedom. Mm-hmm. I didn't know it went so far beyond that. So far. You know, one of my first real moments of feeling and being able to empathize and being angered by what had happened there was to kill a mockingbird which i don't understand is maligned today i mean i do understand the arguments but i don't i just i I think it's such a powerful novel right i think there's complaints that atticus finch you know the black people need a white man to save them type thing and but it i thought it did a very good job of illustrating how unfair and unjust and cruel and evil uh, things were back then. Oh, absolutely. You know, that we have a fantasy image of the good old days, um, you know, make America great again, when, in fact, it was never great. No. Ever. At any point. And I, and I shouldn't say America, because it's it's us. It's our species, right? We're cruel to one another. We are. Another. We are. And we'll take advantage, and we're obsessed with, with having. Yeah, it's, um, oh my God, we could get into a huge philosophical conversation. Let's not. Um, I'm happy though. Autumn's here and I'm feeling quite happy. It's a, a lovely time. I can sleep with the windows open and go for walks. And I live in, nice I, and cold. I live nestled in the mountains. So I'm surrounded. Okay. Stop rubbing. It. No, but I'm just saying I'm surrounded by all this a beauty. Beautiful bakery right outside your door and a bear that comes and says hi in the morning. So did you like the story? I loved it. I love that, the collection of all those stories, the history of that place. Yeah, I didn't know about the Whiskey Rebellion. So now we all both walk away knowing about the Whiskey Rebellion. They were, they were such angry people, eh? And that would have been on the heels of the, the revolution. You didn't like something? Yeah, pick up a gun and let's go shoot some Yeah, let's go trash, and... try to trash an entire city. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a long, bloody history, man. A long, bloody... And every five minutes, there was a fight about something. Yeah, but I love the idea of the haunted plantation. That's the first time I've come across that. Well, it's nice to know, too, that it's the nice spirit. Yes, there's nobody really hostile. Nobody's been hurt by them. There's no demons. Mr. Gordy and Con need to go on a vacation. I there. love Mr. Gordy. In his shiny black shoes. That's the part that I remember the most. The shiny black shoes of Mr. Gordy. Okay, let's not keep these people uh, captive any longer. Folks, we love that you join us this week for our little forays into the world of the unexplained. As usual, please stay with us. 
share this podcast with friends you know that might like this sort of thing. And if they don't like this sort of thing, then don't. Well, unless you don't like them and they don't like this sort of thing, force them to listen. Yeah, punish them. Strap them down to a bed. Duct tape is cheap and effective. And have them listen to every single episode we've we have produced it will make you feel better inside yeah thanks everybody for listening uh you can follow us on facebook and instagram uh we always enjoy sorry uh, your your comments and feedback unless you're an angry person from australia who doesn't like getting information about our show Did that happen again yes were they really angry yeah they were really really angry and i deleted their comment because it was all caps and expletive ridden and i just it's the fact that people take the time to drop a message about it like we're just we're okay so we're advertising on facebook trying to make a you know trying we're not trying to make money we're trying to gain a following yeah (sighs) yeah we don't ask for anything but people don't know and they're just angry because they don't want ads on facebook they remember the good old days where that well yeah that's nothing to do with us all right see you folks good night everybody good night More than one in five adults suffer from cloud earrings. Many of them are unable to lead a normal life due to the debilitating effects of this terrible disease. But now there is hope. CloudRid is a new effective treatment program that can control and sometimes cure cloud earrings. Just one CloudRid suppository each day is all it takes to put you back on the path to wellness. CloudRid, come out from under the clouds and into the light. CloudRid is a registered trademark of Gilboa Foods.